This is Confessions of an Actress podcast, and I'm your host, Meredith Patterson. For the past two decades, I have worked as an actress in the entertainment industry on Broadway and TV and film. This podcast is my insight, observations, and in-depth interviews with my friends and colleagues about what life is really like in show business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Confessions of an Actress, the 70th episode of this podcast. I'm very happy to have you guys here. I'm your host, Meredith Patterson, and today I have one of my favorite people in the industry, my friend, and a Grammy Award-nominated composer, arranger, vocalist, and masterful jazz pianist, Billy Stritch. You know, Billy and I met... Um, 20 years ago this year on the Broadway revival of 42nd Street, he was Oscar and I was in the chorus and then transferred to Peggy and he was there for all of it. And I just have adored him ever since. He is one of the most generous and lovely people that I know. And I'm looking forward to you guys enjoying our conversation in this episode. It is actually his birthday today. Today, February 12th, Billy, it's his birthday. I didn't even plan it that way, but it's just how it worked out. I've wanted him on this show forever. So please wish him a happy birthday by going and getting his new album, Billy's Place, that is available on BillyStritch.com and all other links I have in the show notes. So without further ado, my amazing friend, Billy Stritch. I know you've been doing live streams since the beginning. I mean, I remember literally, I think it was March, like right away, you were in Linda Lavin's, like you guys That's... just, you guys just did like a little live stream and then it started, you know, then it started building from there. But I remember watching that and oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know what I was. I, and then I did a live stream with my husband and I remember being like, do we have to know how to do this now? Like, do yeah. we have to also add another technical skill? Uh, to our resume, add this to our resume. It's like something <laughs> none of us ever wanted or planned or needed to know how to do. Yeah. And so funny because this happened, the last gig I did uh, was at the Carlisle on March 15th at Bendelman's. Okay. And that was supposed to be the very beginning of the spring season. You know, Jim Caruso and I do six months a year. And I know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know any like Monday nights at Birdland without you and Jim. Like I, you know, it just, yeah, all of that. I know. And you, you usually have gigs lined up like six months to a year in advance and flights and all that stuff. And so, yeah, you were at the Carlisle, the Carlisle and everything just like we found out by the end of the night. I mean, of course it was, we were already very aware that everything could get shut down. And before we left at midnight, they were like, that the mayor and the governor made the announcement. So that was the first and last gig at the Carlisle. And then like the next day, Linda Lavin, because she lives in my building, um, she said, you know, we should do something. This is so weird. I mean, is there any way we can like do something online? And I was like, I guess. And then <laughs> I, I guess I talked to Jim. I forget. It was like, we figured out how to just go live on Facebook, just yeah. press the button. And we did it initially with a phone and then a couple weeks in I'm like well I could do it on the iPad because that might get a better image and it did and got a little stand and so we had no mics we were just like real time in the room and doing what she was calling Wednesday matinees and so we started on March 18th I mean I think I feel like 
outside of Seth Rudetsky and his husband, we were like the first people to You really were. No, I remember because I remember being like kind of still shell-shocked and thinking like, oh, this will probably last for like a month or something or, you know, but like for for Linda to think like we got to get on like like just immediately. um, Yeah, I was was still I was still kind of just in a place of like, what do I do? Like, I I mean, we all were. I mean, we we all were. She kind of had the foresight to think of it. And then we got about six weeks or so into it, and she decided she was going to take a Wednesday off. She kind of had run out of steam for a minute. Yeah. And I think that was also the point where all the Black Lives Matter thing was happening, that we were having curfews, everything. It was overwhelming. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just do a little show in my apartment. Same way, just on the iPad, just to keep that little time slot, because we did have people watching. And so... So that was the beginning of my own show. And then I once know, she, it was the beginning of Billy's Place. It was That's... the beginning of Billy's Place, and once she came back, like two weeks later, she goes, well, I'm ready to start again. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? So <laughs> I so I, I decided Thursday night would be my night, and uh, so we overlapped. I mean, she, did, she and I did about four or five more weeks, but then I just kind of hit the ground running. Doug and I, my partner, uh, hit the ground running with Billy's Place, and 36 weeks, episodes later. Yeah. You know, and who, God, Meredith, how would we know that this would have gone on I so mean, long? I mean, but you know what? It, it, it for, for me, and maybe, you know, maybe this feels this way to you, it, it keeps your sanity because you're remaining creative, right? I mean, every week Absolutely. you have a different, you have a different composer, you know, to have that, you know, the, the piano and, and being a vocalist is such a part of you that I know a lot of other musicians that I've seen go live on Facebook and start creating creating this other side of their performing life because they have to mentally, right? I would have been totally adrift at sea if not for this. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, it's something I do once a week. It keeps me on a schedule. It keeps me planning. It keeps my mind engaged and yes, create creatively. It's, I've been more creative as a solo artist this year than I can remember ever having been because, you know, most of my work, the bulk of it is accompanying Linda yeah. Lavin or Christine Ebersole or Max von Essen or Marilyn May. or And I love it. You know, I love to accompany. I love the collaboration. But I always liked being a solo performer. But that always seemed to kind of take a back seat because, you know, I was in demand to do the other thing. Yeah. And uh, so it's actually been this tremendous gift for me to kind of get on board with my own create, create, creativity. And also, you know, what I didn't foresee is that... Now I have friends and fans from all over the world that are able to watch me. And I didn't even anticipate that. I mean, that's such a no-brainer. But all of a sudden, when you're online, it's like people don't have to come to New York and see you. You don't have to go to their city. So, I mean, it's been incredibly positive it's in a, that it's way. A, yes, and I, I think you're not alone in that. That's the positive spin. It's It's been, you know, a lot of artists, I feel like, try to find the positive spin in things. And, and they're right. finding that it has opened up their audience to other people. It's also been, you know, had them be more creative than they ever thought they would be in Instead of just showing up to a gig and, you know, being the accompanist, like you said. What's funny is that I think, Billy, one of the last shows I saw live was you at Vitello's. Wow. Okay. Which was... 
Gosh, yeah, that was the last one of the last shows I saw my my friend um, at Vitello's after you. But it was like you were like one of the last two shows I saw live. And I remember seeing you with your band and Jim Crusoe was there and it was just such a great. And I've always thought you thrive when you do solo work. So to think that this allowed you to do Billy's Place and then now do an album and, and create this whole other you know. I mean, I was just kind of pushed into the deep end of the pool, yeah. honestly, because, you know, I love doing my own thing, but honestly, it's like, if if the other gigs come easily and, they, and I get the phone call, mm-hmm. it's like, I've always been like the path of least resistance. It's like, yeah, I'll take that gig. You're going to pay me some money. You're going to give me a ticket. And it's just, you know, I mean, and this kind of thing, you know, I have to work and it's like, I'm not scared of work, but it's like, uh, you know, it was just never been my thing. I mean, what I've always loved about you is that you've been such a self-starter and self-promoter. Even oh, back when we you. first met, you were so into that. And I was, I've, I've always been inspired by you and other people like you because oh, really? that's really, <laughs> absolutely. I remember thinking that 20 years ago back at 42nd Street. I Can mean, you, you believe were, it's been 20 years? No, uh, we could talk about that later, but, uh, or, or not. But no, we can. I, I can't believe it, but, you know, I... It, it's just fantastic you know it, it's always come not so easy for me to self-promote I mean you know what's th- funny Billy you saying that is such a shock to me because I I feel like it's such a task for me and I right. I love doing it I feel like I have to do it and I have like some kind of like internal flame inside of me that still like I still feel 20 I still yeah. feel 25 even though now I'm 45 like I feel like I'm I'm constantly have to just go and and do these self-promotion things and do these projects and stuff yeah. but I get exhausted sometimes oh, it, it's mentally exhausting. and, I, and well, artistically yeah well I'm glad to know you're <laughs> you go through the same thing I'm glad to know you're not perfect I am uh, not perfect is, at all you know I think we're very similar in that we have this we have this talent, we have this desire to put it out there. We love yeah. being in front of an audience, and so whatever fatigue comes from getting to that place, mm-hmm. we power our way through it. You know, because and that's what this past year really has taught me. I mean, there have been weeks where I'm like, uh, oh no, what am I going to do next week? And I just by Tuesday morning, I'm like, I'm, my brain is clicking, and I'm coming up with it, and I just power my way through it and it's like it's it's been incredibly uh great for my mental status i mean what's it not really, great is, yeah. is you know being here in new york it's like you know doug always says god if we could just go to a movie if we could just go to I a know. you know it's being stuck and being feeling locked in is hard how, you know, that, how are you know it's something that i left new york about 10 years ago i've, I've been back right? a couple times since but not at all during this time and everybody that lives there that i've asked what is it like, like stepping out of your apartment? Because I know where you live, like, right? Mm-hmm. You, you live in the thick of it. Like, where, like, what does it feel like to you guys? Well, I'm tremendously lucky that I live right across from Central Park. So yeah. when I walk out the front door, and I have two dogs, so I have a reason to get out three, at least three times a day. Yeah. Uh, and when I walk out the front door, you know, I see the park. So it's like, I, I, I'm not just like crowded in by by buildings but it's tough because basically it's the grocery store it's cvs it's the park and it's home you know and back when the weather was nicer there was a little bit of outdoor dining and we'll do that again once it stops being 23 degrees uh you know (laughs) but uh you know but i just i hate not being able to i mean i you know not being able to just get out and go to a 
go to a movie. That's really what I think we miss. Of course, we miss theater, you know, of course. And the nightlife. And I mean, you're such a, you are such a part of the nightlife of New York. And I'm sure that that's been been so hard. Yeah. It's been my whole life. I have been lucky in that I've had a few gigs um, this past year, uh, live gigs, I mean, live streamed besides my own. You know, Marilyn May, who I adore, who oh, I've I worked love with her. forever, legendary singer, um, has had me, I've gone to Kansas City three times to do three different filmed shows. We oh, filmed wow. them and then, and, uh, you know, so that was so, and then I went to Nashville in August and made an album. And that was great. So I, I was able to get away a few times, and I just came back from Boca Raton and did a week in a in the lobby of the Wick Theater. I don't know if you know the Wick Theater down oh, there. Oh yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. She she created Marilyn Wick created a wonderful thing where people. It's like only sixty people can come, and there's it's at tables, and they have a lovely dinner, and everyone's if they get up from the table, they have to put the mask on, and everything's mm-hmm. pretty distanced and so sanitized i mean they have really done an amazing job so i it's opening up a little bit yeah i mean you know back in march and april it's like okay gigs were getting postponed to the fall and then we would get to july oh that gig's gonna get postponed till next spring and now i'm getting the calls oh they've been moved to you know it's just ridiculous yeah i mean mean, and we're and we're sort of used to that with the business that we're in we're kind of used to things being uh you know a little bit shaky in terms of your schedule yeah but not like this and i'm sure the energy of new york is just not not making artists happy and 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 seeing some things that are live come back in in society it's kind of like I feel myself going like, well, why not? Why not the uh, arts? Why can't we figure this out? But I get it. I I understand where the kind of the bottom of the totem pole. But I feel like in this environment, I feel like once we get back and running, yeah. people are going to be flooding to hungry. See. Yes. I think they're going to be hungry. You know, there was they, we just did a big big fundraiser for Birdland. Uh, I know, I know. We got to, um, you know, I mean, that's, of course, it's been my home, my performing home for years. Um, and we, we got to November and Johnny Valenti was like, okay, we're going to be able to open up to 25% capacity in, in December. Yeah. So I booked four nights, four Tuesday nights, and December 8th was the first one. And I did a show for 37 people okay. amazing audience they were thrilled and then the next day the numbers spiked the numbers from thanksgiving spiked oh, up yeah. again so everything was shut down again so i had the one gig and johnny was like devastated because he was really hoping so you know at this point it would look very bleak for birdland yeah and jim caruso and Susie mosher and a couple of other people got together and created this fundraiser and as i was promoting it i wrote exactly what you said i said you know we have to keep birdland and places like this alive yes because when we're all able to go out if there's no place to go we're going to be so sad and yes. so depressed absolutely and i think people are going to be clamoring for it i mean i'm that's what i'm banking on you know i i believe that it that it's happening i believe that it, it's coming and i believe that you know the golden age of hollywood the golden age of broadway all of that came from the depression came absolutely. from you know yeah. world war, like world war Two came from that that just that oh, sure. feeling I mean, of needing needing to be needing to escape, escape. From, yes from absolutely. the reality 
And I mean, all those great Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers films, everything in the 30s, that came out of the darkest time in our history, you know. Yeah. And people, and, you know, it was different. I mean, it wasn't, well, there had been a pandemic, I guess, in 1920, but I mean, the Depression, horrible time. Yeah. And people, people could go and escape and see a movie for a dime, you know, and it yeah. was like, boy, and I really do think that what you're saying is right. People a are going to be ready for Billy. it. A dime, Billy. No, a, di- a dime. Is it a penny? No, a nickel? A dime. <laughs> and oh, that's, God. oh, God. And that's that's 42nd Street, the show. That's we, a nice we, lead we in. on. We sure did. Oh, a my nice God. A nice little segue. I, Meredith, I dreamt about it last night, I have did. to say. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. I have, well, one thing that's happening during this pandemic is I have the most vivid dreams. And usually they're pretty good. They're weird, but they're they're they're, they're pretty good. I mean, I, every morning, I'm in the middle of the night, I'm like, wow. And then I go back to sleep and I fall right into the same place. And it was all of us. It was 42nd Street. It was... Um, Except we were doing Les Mis for some reason. <laughs> but it was, and of course it was an all, a terribly anxious dream because I couldn't find my costume and my sound pack and everything. And of I didn't course. know my, but it's the actor's nightmare. <laughs> but you were there. Michael Cumstey was there. Wendy was there. I mean, it was a lot of people. Wow. Uh, Darren Phelps, okay? Darren That's Phelps, yeah. He, he was in the dream. It's like, this is, I mean, that what an incredible time for us. Oh my God. It, it's I mean, amazing. It's how I met you. And I, you know, be, be, yeah. my dad being a jazz artist, like I had heard of you and I, I believe he had your first album. So uh, I had already heard of you and like coming into the rehearsal room and seeing you and then watching you sit down and play the piano and sing. And I just, you know, and then of course, getting to know you, like you just warm my heart and you have since back then. And yeah. it's funny because... um I always wanted to do a show with you, but I never got the guts to ever ask you, like, could we do a show together? Like, I wanted to, you know, at, like back then when I was 25, I'm like, right. I, I'm like, I could, you know, I could do a show with, with Billy Stritch. <laughs> Why not? Honey, well, honey, we're not done yet. Okay. We're not so done yet. We are so. not done. We're not. So that that's, let's put that on the list. That's on the uh, list. But I have to say 42nd Street to me. I that happened when I you know I was much, I'm much older than you are. Um, I was 39, I guess, when that happened. Yeah. And but it had always you know I'm such a Broadway baby you know not not that I was a, um, did a lot of performing in shows but I just grew up on it. Oh yeah. And I it was a big it was the culmination of, of a big dream for me to actually be in a. Broadway show, not in the pit, not in the behind the scenes. I wanted to be on that stage. Yeah. And luckily, you know, Mark Bramble was a good friend of mine. And so when he was like cooking, when we used to, we were very close and used to have dinner once a week. He lived two blocks from me. And yeah. he was talking about this whole thing coming. And I kept saying, well, isn't there a part for me? Isn't there a part for me? There's <laughs> not. a Well, there's Oscar, the pianist, but that's not a part. You know, I'm like, could it be a part? You know? So I just, I just, you know, chewed away at it. I just like, poked and poked, prodded him. And finally, you know, he was like, okay, we can make something out of this. So I See, mean, I Billy, have, amb- you have, you have ambition. You have, you have for like, like you, like thinking of like, this is the role that I want to play. And you know, what's funny is that I don't know another Oscar that's actually plays the piano. Cause normally the part is. Doubled. Well, that's the point. Yeah, I mean, he was point, like, was he was so like, that's great. never been a, he said, that's never really been a real part. You know, it's just, he, he wheels in the piano and faces upstage. So yeah. you don't really see faces down, you know, you don't see. So, so he rethought that. He created a 
a role for me. I mean, I didn't really think it was going to happen. It just, I was just teasing him, you know, but finally as it got closer, he was like, okay, let's do this. And, you know, I always, I always say, you know, I, I played the, the small but pivotal role. <laughs> and if you blinked, you would have missed me. But I have to say, I, you know, being able to make friends and go to work with, uh, a hundred people, a hundred new friends, you yeah. know, uh, behind the scenes and on the stage and all you great people was just a, a, a golden time in my life. It, I still, it's still one of the best years that I've Me ever too. had. I loved being able to just get on the subway, come down. I could, I could be feeling horrible and I'd be in that dressing room and Michael Arnold would make me laugh. <laughs> and then I would hear that. And Christine Ebersole, I'd hear her voice down the hall laughing about something. And I would, and then I'd hear that overture start and I would just be in the, in the zone, oh, and yeah. be in the mood. You know, there's nothing, but I mean, you're like me, that music, you know, you can't help but love that fantastic Well, music. all jazz came from... You know, it came from Broadway. So it came from those composers, all the composers that you're doing on Billy's Place. Like, they started in New York. They started on Broadway. That's how it all started. So it was a culmination of that. But yes, I remember, oh my gosh, so many, so many stories. But Christine, who I know you ended up doing, I was so jealous. You guys were doing shows together after we, (laughs) I was like, well, she won the Tony Award and you have a Grammy nomination and I'm 25 and I want to be on stage with you guys doing your shows together, which I used to come to Birdland watch you guys do your shows together and everything but she used to she when in the second act when I had the hardest part of my show and she was sitting in her dressing room with the door open she would (laughs) she would just she would howl out to me and say honey honey you're working too hard and I'd be running running past her dressing oh, right. room and going like I know I know and she goes when you get older you don't have to do so much <laughs> and then That's she true. says and then you win the Tony and they pay you more but keep going honey you're doing great like she you're doing just great. used to I laughed every day on that she could make me on laugh on that show <laughs> she has the best laugh and the, the best. And, a, and, and, a, and a wicked wit and would always you know I love being with her. Yeah. I never, and even back then, I didn't ever think we'd work together in nightclubs. Two years later was when that happened. Mark Sendroff, our our yeah. attorney, our mutual attorney, was like, he said, "You guys need to work together." So that's so he's the one that had that bright idea. Oh, really? And I just yeah. was like, oh, I I remember coming to see the show and just being like, oh my god, it was just such a great combo. But you've, you know, I what I think is so great about you is that you can seamlessly go from doing your own show to accompanying somebody like Christine or Liza or, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the people that you've had a chance to accompany. And, and even now tell me you did, um, Tony Bennett, didn't you, didn't you do a big show for Tony Bennett? Well, I played, I, I, I toured with him for almost a year. Um, back in uh, 2016, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that came came out totally out of the blue. I have been uh, working with. Uh, well, I I'd met him before in the 90s a couple times. He and Liza did. Uh, we did the Oprah Winfrey show once together. They yeah. sang together, and I. Uh, but I, you know, so I I knew him. I knew his wife. I, I would see him from time to time. But um, I, and then I then I got it. They did a. a show for him at Radio City Music Hall on his 90th birthday. Right. And I played for 
Kevin Spacey that <gasps> night. Oh, yeah. wow. Who's a fantastic singer. And fantastic know, singer, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, this is before he got immersed in all, all the stuff that happened to him. But yeah. Ho- and hopefully he'll come back and be able to sing again. But Absolutely. Uh, he did that Bobby Darren movie. He did, Beyond yeah. the Sea. That's Beyond right. Beyond the Sea, right. So good. So um, I played, he sang that night. It was great. And I saw Tony backstage, and we said hello. But... Uh, didn't think much of it. Four days later, I'm walking my dogs in the park. I get a phone call. The phone rings. I pick up. Hey, you talk to Billy? Uh, he says, Billy, it's Tony Bennett. I'm thinking, oh my God. what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I, I'm looking for somebody to come work with me. You might be interested in that. I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. Wow. Now he lives he lives less than a block from me, just down Central Park South. Okay. So we made a date for me to go over and um, play, you know, just to hang out, just play music and see how it would mesh. And we did two songs. He goes, I think it's going to be great. So, I mean, I nine days later, I, I was on the road doing my first what, gig. What a him. life you have. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I, you know, you're my friend. I know you from 42nd Street. We've had, you know, we've hung out many times. But like, I, I, but when I start to think about like, from Sugarland, Texas, you started playing piano at what five years old, and yeah, and that's you were right. you were in a jazz uh, trio, I believe, and then came to New York, and I just I, I feel yeah. like your life is magical to me. Well, I tell you what, I, I, it's always just kind of guided me. You know, it's like yeah. I have to say, I've never really. I mean, lately it's changed a little bit, but during my teens and twenties and thirties, I never really planned the next step. The next step found me. So, you know, I was in college at University of Houston, and I found Sharon Montgomery and Sally Mays, who, you know, now we were all students there, and we we did children's theater in the summertime one summer together, and got to be friends, and there was one night, there was a big cast party, Sharon gave a party at her house. And everybody knew I could play the piano and sing, and I knew Sally sang. And all of a sudden, the three of us start singing Lullaby of Broadway, and we fall into a perfect three-part harmony. We just fell into it. We just found our parts, boom. <laughs> and then we did something else. I think it was Hold Tight by the Andrew Sisters. We, uh-huh. we all knew it. We fell into it. And then every you guys need to work together. Well, we went, there was a gay club in Houston called Rascals that had live entertainment. We got together like the next week and worked out six songs, and we went and auditioned, and we got hired to work two weeks later. So we had to put together three hours worth of material. Oh, my God. But, uh, but yeah, I'm so sure you did was, it easily. It sounds like it just kind yeah, of was a, a we kind of did. Yeah. Because yeah. it was not only jazz. It was stuff. We did a Best Little Whorehouse medley. We did a Little Shop of Horrors medley. We did. It was a lot of theater stuff, too, because we, yeah. we loved that. It was comedy, because we they were good at that. We, we were funny. Uh, so it was <laughs> really funny. unlike, it was really unlike any other, we didn't know it, but there was no other act like that. And we got more and more popular. We started working a broader circle of cities. And then we came to New York in 1983 and just hit the ground running. Sally left the group early on. She was replaced by a girl named Rebecca Plant. So we went from being Montgomery Mason Stritch to Montgomery Plant and Stritch. And then we worked Don't Tell Mama, we worked the ballroom, and then we worked the Algonquin Oak Room. That was the oh, that was wow. the, the that was the gold standard. Oh yeah. And 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 back then, you know, you could go and work six weeks, uh, ten shows a week, and 
being at the at a hotel, we'd stay at the hotel. We'd all have little tiny little rooms, but you know, it was just oh my god, it was like they were and they're paying us to do this. You I know. know that's that's when you know that you're in the right place when you literally Absolutely. are like this is a dream come true. I can't believe Absolutely. I get paid to do this. That's and right. I mean, you did you come from a musical family or have you not always just you always just you just gravitated to the piano from the time you were a I, kid? Not at all. No no music in my family. I mean, there was a piano in the house. So luckily there was that because I gravitated right to it. Yeah. Um, and I loved music in church when I was little. I remember I loved music. Anytime there was music on TV, I was just zoning, just zoomed into it. Um, and by the time I was back, like eight, I was really developing my ear. You know, I was like, I would... I watched the Carol Burnett show and I had a little, oh, little, it. a little portable cassette player with, you know, you could hit playing record <laughs> yes. and I would sit there and it was Carol Burnett and Sonny and Cher and oh, I wow. would record the whole show front and back 60 minutes and then, and there was, there was always music, you know, on the, at like the last part of Carol's show always was a big medley of Fred Astaire or Gershwin or somebody and Cher would always sing you know standards and stuff yeah and I would run to the living room I play it back over and over and I would pick it out on the piano so you know I just figured it out so you just have that ear where you could just go to the piano and just plunk it out I know my son has that my son has the same thing I (laughs) know I you've played you've put him on on Facebook it's like and he's not and I think I commented he's not afraid of the black notes either you know he's (laughs) not I mean, but what was the thing he picked? It was something from Frozen or something. He I, was, you know, or it was like, oh, it was the beginning of Titanic. Titanic. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And it was like I'm watching this kid and he's playing all the accidentals and everything. I thought, well, he's, you know, Meredith, he's further along than I was at that age. Oh, so wow. look out. I know. Look out. It's well, it's it's. This is a lesson for people who maybe have a child or have a, you know, someone in their life that just gravitates to the piano and just literally just can plunk out the notes. I mean, my son plays by ear all of those I don't even think I know what an accidental is and he just <laughs> he just does it yeah. and I and I really do think that for artists it is something that you are born with you yep. do not choose it it chooses you and I think when you when you go towards what you're passionate about it doesn't feel like you work a day in your life right even think, even I, during a pandemic right absolutely <laughs> even during a pandemic you can't you can't be away from it and and you're absolutely right if if, if young parents have or old parents whatever have a kid <laughs> who is showing this kind of thing just just encourage it stand oh, hold on someone's calling me and i'm gonna get rid of someone's calling you hi well, it's wait it might be never. uh it might be tony bennett it's hollywood calling it's no, hollywood it's not. okay sorry <laughs> about opened that again it's okay yeah <laughs> Uh, no. Just, just stand back. Get out of there. Let them encourage them. Give them whatever they need. You know, my parents were great because they didn't understand it. But yeah. you know, the other thing. But but they always got. I always had lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and initially, they were classical kind of lessons, like kids take. You know, but I soon gravitated away from that and my mom was hip enough to figure out that what I needed was someone who could teach me how to improvise and develop the ear yeah so so she figured it out she found a guy I was we were living in a town outside Houston but so she in Houston and would drive me in once a week and I mean this is when I'm age 10 you know so she really supported it they both did you know yeah 
and you just have to you have to give them whatever they need um you know just just uh, encourage it because it is you know i had it's, it's for me personally it's a god-given thing i believe in that yeah it's a god-given talent me too we can't we, we don't question where it comes from it just is there and and you know you you have to you know when you're handed something like that you 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 have to go with it you know i mean it's like it's almost would be a sin to turn your back on it so yeah um yeah so i'm glad you i'm glad that you and i of course we agree you know why would <laughs> of course we agree we agree on everything but of course. but uh of course. that's an amazing you've got two amazing boys and with amazing talents and and you're and, tuned you know, into it and i and, love that and i love it and i and i think sometimes when you do have parents like like myself who is is in the arts and has done it professionally sometimes that can be something where you know, it can be a hindrance. It can be something where you're you're trying, maybe pushing them or something like that. But I feel like, you know, my husband Dustin and I have, have done, you know, such a good job of just letting them follow their bliss. Right. And I think your parents did the same thing. And That's thank, right. And thank God they did. When yeah. did when did Mel Torme uh, mm. come into your life? Because I know I know you did a solo show, and I know yep. that he is such an influence. And to me, that is how I would describe you to people mm-hmm. is you are you have this velvet fog you know <laughs> sound about you but 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 you have a you know you have a little more power my my dad used to listen to Mel Torme in my house all the time and so that that creamy just beautiful yeah. sound is just such a part of my childhood but when did you when did you first hear him well I mean I, I, I suppose I must have first heard him when I was really young like on Carol Burnett or, you know, yeah. he used to be on, Lucille Ball loved him. So he was like, several times he was on her, one of her shows. You that's, know, he's the on time, the that's the time when popular culture and things that were on the radio were also melding into being on TV shows, meaning right. like the music. And then it was also Broadway. It was such a, you know, mixture yep. Uh, yep. and more, more of a blended um, Right. Nobody culture. was, nobody was pigeonholed into one thing, you know, yeah. so you could cross into a lot of different areas. Yeah. And uh, so I, I was certainly aware of him, but honestly, he came out with an album when I, when I was like, you know, in high school, I was just buying records all the time. Yeah. And I saw this record and it was a big, it was a wonderful Hirschfeld drawing of him. And it was Mel Torme live with friends at Marty's. New York City. Okay. And it was a double album, you know, I don't know if you remember the double album. You could open it up and there'd be artwork on the inside and you know, so it's two discs. I I still have a record player. I actually do take We do too. Yeah, Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um and and I put it on and you first you hear the applause and you hear the intro and it's just this trio and I don't think I'd ever really heard a jazz trio and then he starts singing well, it changed my life. And I think maybe that came out in 1980, so 79 or 80. So okay. I was like senior in high school. Uh, totally, totally changed my life. Then soon after, then I, and by that time I was really starting to sing too. So he definitely influenced and informed my, my early singing. Uh, I used to do a lot more scat singing than I do now. I just yeah. really, and I wasn't trying to imitate him consciously, but it was like I loved him, so I didn't want to sing those things. But um, there's always there's always artists that influence, or you have that moment where you're like, oh my god, this is what I want to do. That's this right. is what yeah. I this is what I I need, and and the thought of maybe that Billy, you are that to somebody, someone younger. Oh, like so imagine, weird. you know, it's yeah. just it's it's exciting. It's not really. Um, um, 
all about the ego, but it's more about passing down the the love of what we do, which Mel Torme obviously loved he, it himself and then translate that to his music. And well, I mean, I, I worked in this group and I would always sing and people would always say, gosh, you sound like Mel Torme and yeah. you really remind me of him. Well, I just loved him and, and, and it really culminated in, in 1988. Uh, my group had been working a lot in New York. We had a, by this point had a great manager uh, who was booking us in jazz festivals in the summertime all over Europe. Oh, wow. And, and we got uh, booked to open for Mel Torme at Carnegie <gasps> Hall. Oh my God! Uh, I don't the, know this story. It That's was amazing. The J- yeah, it was part of the JVC Jazz Festival. Wow! And it was 1988, and we opened for him, and we show up that day, and we do our just to do our sound check and run our songs. And I didn't expect, you know, we had opened for big stars before on yeah. occasion. And, you know, normally you wouldn't really meet the person or have much interaction, maybe maybe after the show or, you know. But I looked, we we get on stage everything, and he I look down, he's sitting right there. He comes over, and he sat there and listened to our whole set. Wow. He came up on stage. He said, you know, I think the song you're closing with would be a better opener. I think, switch this around. What else do you have here? I mean, he really helped us put together a fantastic set. That's amazing. And not only that, you know, my whole family came up from Texas to see the show because it was Carnegie Hall, of course. and yes. uh, after the show, you know, he had he had dozens of people backstage ready to see him, and he was so. My grandmother just pushed her way right over to him, and <laughs> you know, I was kind of mortified at the time, but he could not have been nicer. And she wrote him a fan letter right after, and he wrote her right back. And so he was lovely. He really, really was lovely. And then in the '90s, a few years later in the '90s, when I was working with Liza and spending all the all my time with her, yeah, uh, we we uh, had a couple of dinners with him in L.A. So, um, oh, wow. you know, so I, not that we got to know, be very close friends at all, but we did know each other. And yeah, I, I would go to Michael's Pub and see him. He'd always work every September in New York at Michael's Pub, so he knew me and. It was great, and you know, That's of course, amazing. when you get to when you get to meet your idols and they're they're lovely, oh it's like. That's the and whole I reason found, we're in this. Exactly. Well, it's it definitely is a perk, and I find that you know it's like you with Ann Miller, and I want to go back I, to that. But go ahead. Yes. No, I was yeah. going to say that the the generation that I that my my mother's a huge movie musical buff, loves them, and mm-hmm. so I was raised with Ann Miller, Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, you know Julie Andrews, and all of these people. And I got a chance when I was coat checking at the Rainbow Room. That was one of my first jobs in New York. <laughs> I got a chance to meet a lot. I got a chance to meet Carol Burnett, and I got a chance to. Meet Tony Bennett. I checked their coats. I didn't really sure. get to talk to them, but they were so lovely and looked nice, me right? in the eye and nice. And mm-hmm. Rosemary Clooney, I got to uh, sit her show up there. Yeah. And all of I feel like that generation had this this way of really um, just paying it forward and not yeah. and didn't have this ego thing. And and I I just I had this saying now that like the bigger the star, the nicer they are. But in my mind, it's really that generation that really was just so lovely. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Especially stars, uh, film stars, you know, because part of the deal was that you had to really interact with fans. Certainly, yeah. uh, there were fan clubs and there were like personal appearance tours and, and things like that. And, yeah. and people were very aware. I mean, Tony Bennett was always, always very aware of that. Um, would always stop, you know, after the show, people were waiting outside. He would always stop and shake hands and, and do that, you know, and it's, and you're right. It's only the people who are not 
not really wonderful that like I don't have I don't have time you know it's like well the the great people have time yeah. you know because because that's how they got to be so successful is because the fans it doesn't happen without the support of I, a lot of people I just feel like yeah I just feel like the you know the people who are really secure in what they do and just want to give back and all those things like yourself you have always been so lovely I I literally remember calling you for a benefit concert that I was doing for Huntington's Disease I remember, Society yeah, and sure. you opened up the whole show curtains up for a cure and you I opened remember. up the whole show sitting down at the piano and I just remember going oh my god I can't believe Billy Stritch is opening this benefit Aww. that I produced and just you know just just uh, that's the kind of uh, person that you are and I hope people who are listening know that you not only are amazingly talented but just so generous and lovely and, well again you know, you know it's like I feel like the talent I have is a gift and it's mm-hmm. you know it's something you have to you have to give you know it goes both ways yeah um and what you were you touched on it earlier you know uh, how Mel Torme influenced me and how maybe I'm influencing other pe- young people. And mm-hmm. it, it really is true. It's not something I ever had thought about before. But in this past year, I have gotten several really, really lovely uh, Facebook messages from uh, kids, you know, 16, 19, 20 years old. Oh my God, I'm such a fan. I'm discovering this music through you. And it's like, wow. First, my first thought is, wow, I'm really old. And the second (laughs) thought is like, how cool to be able to like, I'm a person who is able to like, they're get my music out there and they're discovering Gershwin or Cole Porter or whoever it is. Because let's face it, there's not a lot of people doing this music. I know, right? you know, and and I I was raised in a house with jazz, but I also, you know, Harry Connick Jr. came out when I was 13 years yep. old, and I remember being like, "Who is this sexy guy?" And I right. loved all of it, and it reintroduced a lot of things for me as well. But you know, I think that is that is just a icing on the cake to be able to pass on the music, um, and and I love it. You know, it's something that I will. I don't think I ever. I love other kinds of music, but I will never not love. The Great American Songbook and jazz and all right. of that. Right. I want to touch on something that I actually listened to. The song, um, it's one of the recent songs that you have. I believe it's on your album, Billy's Place. Uh, Since You Left New York. Yeah. Which I think mm-hmm. you wrote with um, your songwriting partner. Sandy you, Knox. Sandy mm-hmm. Knox. And it's interesting. I listened to it and I just love it. But it's so poignant now Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. it's kind of amazing to hear the the lyrics. Talk a little bit about how that song. Well, came okay, about. so this it's kind of a funny story because Sandy Knox and I got very lucky with a country song called "Does He Love You" that mm-hmm. was recorded by Reba McIntyre and Linda Davis. She, Sandy, and I have been friends since the '80s, both from Houston, the Houston area. Yeah. So uh, back when I had this group, we wrote. We were writing together, and we wrote Does He Love You for my group. It was two women and me, and so the song is a duet between two women. So so we wrote that in 1985, and uh, it got to Reba McIntyre's attention down the line. That was a really lucky break for us. But at the same time, uh, at some point, Sandy really moved to, she moved to Nashville to really pursue the songwriting thing. Mm-hmm. So I was making regular trips down there. Um, to write mm-hmm. with her and we wrote a ton of songs we never had anything re- remotely as successful as does he love you but one of the songs that we wrote was the song called since you left new york now 
So it wasn't written. It's so weird because when this pandemic started, uh, Sandy got in touch with me and said, do you remember this song that we wrote called since? And I was like, kind of. I hadn't thought about it in years. (laughs) She pulled out an old cassette tape, put it on an MP3 and sent it to me. Well, the first lyric is... They turned out the lights on old Broadway. Yeah. They stopped playing jazz in the cabaret. And I listened to that and I thought, well, that could have been written today. I know. It's and just heartbreaking. It, it yeah. just, it, it, it cut to my core and the song is beautiful. Well, thank you. I mean, so I, I, you know, immediately decided that I had to record it and sing it on my live stream and get it out there as best I could. Um, and I, I, in the few live shows I've done, I've, I've done the song and it's always gotten a great response. And I always preface it with that story and, and saying that, you know, it just kind of goes to show that sometimes a song has to, you know, a song has to find its time. You mm-hmm. know, it may not be exactly right when you write it, but, you know, it certainly proved to me that, you know, 30 years later, I think it's almost 30 years later, this song is very fresh and very poignant and feels very relevant. For, and it's wonderful. For and your, oh. your your performance of it is just well, is just awesome. And well, I, everybody can go download it on, on all the live stream places. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I want everybody to do that because your birthday is today. This well, is when this is yes. when it's oh, yes. this episode's good. launching. Okay, We've recorded it a little bit before, but we are. Oh, okay, you're right. My birthday's today. <laughs> yes, it's my birthday. Happy birthday Day. to you. I'm gonna do Ooh. a little Marilyn. Happy good. birthday. But I, <laughs> Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. But I am just I'm so, so happy to have you on this podcast. I hope everybody goes and gets your album. All of that your would be albums, a great, really. That'd be a great birthday present for me. That would if be a wonderful birthday present. Download Billy's place or go to my website and order the CD and I will send it to you. I will sign it and send it to oh you. Oh my God, so, what a gift. I know, Absolutely. so many things. So many ways to get it, right? Oh, so many ways <laughs> to get it. And and yeah. I, you know, I think that you should just keep doing live streams. I think you should just keep it up as long as it, as long as it, it can happen because, because you're just, you're getting, Why would I stop, right? You would never stop. Even when everything opens back up, maybe you'll have a, you know, another... I um, think it's a month. I think, you know, I've already, in my mind, I think I'll, I'll continue maybe the last Thursday of the month or whatever. We'll just keep doing it just yeah. keep the connection yeah because so many people you know i have fans now in the uk and of course i've always had fans in california or texas and montana you know okay and, and yeah. it's like why wouldn't i want to keep a connection going with people you know absolutely so, yeah, absolutely because yeah. even once this whole thing ends I don't think people are necessarily going to be flocking to travel so much. Yeah. It's going to t- it'll take a minute, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I, I think there's no reason to actually stop the live stream. I think it's changed uh, not not just for me but for everybody. Oh, I think, the industry I think it's changed the face of the industry. The industry yeah. has definitely changed. It's definitely going to be more um, you know, online streaming, media yep. friendly, but I think that the the molecular feeling of being in a theater or being in a club, I don't know that that will ever go away. You can't, I know. You can right. recreate it. So I think that it's actually, in, in a way, this has enhanced what we do, which mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, I, I always try to find a positive spin, but I think that, that it's going to open up... Um, 
open up our audiences, but also, you know, just allow people to experience more of what you do, what all live performers do, which is a win for everybody. I think it's the best of of, ever, of both worlds. And mm-hmm. I love you and I are both very half glass full kind yeah. of people. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it has changed the whole face of what we do. And you're right. There's no way to substitute being in a room with actual live form bodies, you know? So I think once that comes back, people are, are, like you said, we said earlier, people will be clamoring for that, but you know, the live stream thing's not going to go away. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, And I just, I want to be back at Birdland. I want to be back, you know, back seeing you you on stage and have you come to Montana and do gig here and just, you know, just be back to ourselves and what makes us happy. But for now, the live streams continue. Mm -hmm. Your, Your amazing album, Billy's Place, Everybody, please go get it and every other album that you have. And I adore you and thank you for this time. I loved it. I love talking <laughs> to you anytime. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see each other and hug in, a, in another year's time anyway. So uh, uh, I look but, forward uh, to that for sure. Yeah, yeah. And sure. uh, give my love to your husband and those babies, those baby boys. Well, they're not babies anymore, but yeah, still. Yeah, and one of them is yeah. Billy. You know, I, Billy, Billy. I know. Oh, I know. Absolutely. I love you. Another Billy. Another um, Billy. Meredith, thank you for having me. This oh, has been just great. You're so welcome. My love to Doug and, and your dogs. And I hope to give you that hug. I can feel it from afar. Yay. I can't too. All right, sweetheart. <laughs> okay. Love you. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. To support this podcast, make a donation or become a sponsor, visit confessionsofanactress.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram for our live Talkin' Tuesday series with former podcast guests. And check in every Wednesday for our bonus episodes, Wellness Wednesdays. And if you're feeling super generous, head over to Apple Podcasts on iTunes and give us a five-star review. I really appreciate it. And remember, have vision for what you want, but be grateful for where you are every single day. 